You know what this is, right? Right? I, I, um, I like kid toys. And, um, and I like to play with kids and have a lot of fun because they're innocent and they're creative and they're obnoxious and immature. And it kind of fits my personality a little bit. Um, to, well, not the obnoxious and immature part, Katie. The uh, have fun, be creative, kind of get down the floor, play around, get on their level. And, and I enjoy doing those kinds of things. Now, you know when you grow up that you played with this. Everybody played with this, right? This little magic eight ball. And you can ask it any question like, when Jared is 95, will he still be wearing flip-flops? My sources say yes. Or when you were little, though, it was, you know, more intelligent things like, when I grow up, will I marry Harry, Jerry, and when my first, will, I, will my first child be a boy and I'm going to name him Rick and my second one's going to be a girl and I'm going to name her Jane. And, you know, girls think like this, guys, in case you didn't know. We have it all planned out before we ever meet you. All right? And then we ask. Try again. All right? And see, the guys, they don't understand that. What they're thinking is, when I grow up, am I going to be a superhero and I'm going to have that laser action gun and it's going to be hanging on my wall and they're wanting to know those kinds of things when they grow up. And it looks and it says, if you beg your wife. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> but we try to, and if we, 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 we try to get answers, right? And if we don't like the answer that we get, we can manipulate it. Or if the magic eight ball doesn't work, then you pull out this. You know what this is? This is the third grade fortune-telling philosophy. You know what it is. A little paper thing that you sit in class and you're doing it and you're going... Okay, pick a number. You know, and they pick a number. One, two, three, four. All right. Um, how many children do you have when you grow up? Thirty-five. One, and, you, and you start going. And then, and then you pick under here and you find the answer that says when you grow up, you're going to live in a zoo and all your children will be hairy. And it makes absolutely no sense. But to a third grader, it's fun. And we do it again because, because we want to know. We want to know what the answers are. And, you know, I was... Um, talented and gifted in the manipulation department. And so um, only lawyers in here thought that was funny. And so if you gave me a number and you said four, well, I could, like, close it on one, open it on two, or I could give it two counts, you know, to make sure that you got to that really crazy one that was written in there. And so I could manipulate it to get the answer that I wanted. Today we're going to be... uh, Looking at God's truth, and, and it's truth that we can't manipulate it, but it's truth that we wrestle with inside of us. Now, there's, there's a lot of things that, that I've taught before, and a lot of times when I teach, it's things that I have already wrestled with, things that I can say, you know what, here's what I have learned. I've already been there. I've done that. Now, now let me kind of help you and, and, and kind of show you where I've been and what I've learned. And then there's other times that, that I teach that, that God is really working on my heart and in my life. And I can stand up and I can teach it with a pretty good grasp of knowing what's going on and what he's doing. But I'll be really honest with you today. What I'm going to share with you today, I honestly feel like I'm still in over my head. I don't completely grasp it. So instead of this being... Uh, so much like a lesson today, it's pretty good, much going to be more 
of a confession. You're going to get a confession of a pastor's wife today. And we're going to be looking at, here in just a few minutes, we're going to look at the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, Paul was the guy who wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul, before he came to know Christ, he was ruthless. He, he got an adrenaline kick out of killing Christians. And that was what his job was. That is what he did. And he was devoted to doing it until God got hold of him. Now, you've got to remember, though, before God got hold of him, it's not that he didn't know the gospel. He knew. He knew what Christians thought. He knew what they were teaching about Jesus. He just completely rejected it. He rejected it until Christ got hold of him. And when Jesus Christ got hold of Paul, something completely changed him. And it wasn't just an outside thing. It was an inside change that took place in him. And so he started using phrases like this that we read that, that I've become a new creature. I'm no longer an old creature. I, I'm a new man. The old man is gone. And Paul was referring to this, to this inside change that begins to take place in him. And he knows that it wasn't something that he could have concocted in and of himself, but it was something completely that God did within him. And he's devoted to it severely. And so what he does is, is, is he takes off and he packs up his tent-making business and he goes to different places and he begins to tell them about Jesus Christ and what he has done for him. And he's been all over the place, but he's been beaten, he's been in prison, he's been persecuted, he's been ridiculed, he's been rejected, but still yet people are coming to follow Christ. Well, he gets to the city of Corinth and he's there for a little while and he's, and he's, he's devoted to telling them about Jesus Christ, and it says, though, in the book of Acts, it says that they rejected him and they ridiculed him. And so Paul says, you know what? I'm done with you. And he walks out and he leaves. I'll go preach elsewhere. And so he goes and he stays at the man's house that lives next to the synagogue. Well, meanwhile, there's another guy in the synagogue who was the leader of the synagogue. His name was Crispus, and he becomes a follower of Christ. And his family begins to become a follower of Christ. And other people begin to follow Christ. And, and God appears to Paul in a vision. And he says, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Get over the spear. I want you to go back to them. And I want you to continue to teach. And I'm going to be with you. And Paul, what you don't know is, is that there are many other people in the city who are also followers of me. And so he goes back to the synagogue. So much that he even begins, he stays there and he's teaching them and he stays with them for a year and a half. But they were a tough, tough crowd. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to 1 Corinthians. Paul, we know, was afraid. God tells him, Paul, don't be afraid. You know, you can classify our fears usually into three different groups. One, you could classify it into... Uh, Fear of maybe people, okay? And usually with that comes the question that says this. What if they, and then you fill in the blank, what, what, if, they, what if they don't like me? What, what if they think this? What, 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 if, what, if, what if they say this about me? What if, what if they do this, okay? Or a second classification of our fear could be fear of failure. And that question comes like this. What if I? What, what if I don't? What if I can't? What if I? And then there's the fear of the unknown. And that's completely just a what if. Fill in the blank. What if? What if this? What if that? And it's the unknown of things that we can't see, but yet we 
become afraid of. We're going to look at chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to read through verse 5 at the beginning. And it says this, When I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now, I thought about doing this today. I thought about putting on those psychology couches up here, you know, and, and just kind of lay out on it and hand out a yellow legal pad to you guys as you came in so that, so that you could take notes because what today is going to be is, is I've titled it Confessions of a Pastor's Wife. Ooh, ah. You know, and, and so now you, you may be thinking, you're probably thinking, you know, one of a few thoughts. One is, is after I tell you some of the things that I'm going to tell you, um, you're... You might be thinking, I knew it. I knew it all along. She is crazy. And, honey, would you get the pen and paper out, start taking notes, and when Mike comes back, we are going to tell him everything that she said. Or you're going to be thinking this. You really think that? You, you really struggle with that? Because I, I thought I was the only one that thought those things or struggled with those things. Or you might fall in the category of you might be falling asleep, but I don't, I don't want to go there, all right? I want you to stay awake. Paul says this, listen, Corinth, I know you've got problems going on, and here's what's happening in Corinth. They begin to argue with themselves. They begin to divide within their group, and they begin to split up into parties because what it was was Corinth was a very intellectual city, and it was influenced by a lot of philosophy. And so what was beginning to take place was they had heard the message of Jesus Christ, but the other way of thinking was philosophy and intellectualism. So what they began to do is they began to take the intellectualism and they began to take the message of Christ and they began to marry the two together. We call that synchronization. And that became what their faith began to be built on. And so in philosophy and intellectualism, you would choose who you follow. Well, I choose this philosopher and that's what I believe, or I choose that philosopher and that's what I believe. And so that's what began to take place in the church. They began to say, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Peter. No, I'm the party of Jesus over here. And there began to be these divisions within the church of Corinth. And Paul writes to them and he says, wait, hold on here. Hold your cotton-picking horses. That Arkansas version for the text that we just read. He said, look, let's get real here. Can we just get back down to the basics? When I came to you, when I came to you, I didn't come with you to you with, with something that was impressive. I didn't come to you with superior speech. I didn't come to you with some magic trick up my sleeve so you could say, Hey, look at Paul. I want what Paul's got. When I came to you, I came to you like this. I came to you and I was afraid. I came to you and I was trembling. I came to you and I was in fear. I came to you, I completely felt inadequate. But yet... Still, in all of those things, the message of God somehow it still came through. So your faith doesn't rest on people, but your faith rests and you followed Christ because the Spirit spoke to you and your faith rests on the power of God. 
not on the power of men. My first confession to you is this, is that I often pretend and am paralyzed by fear. In other words, I can fake you out. You know what I'm talking about, too, right? Because we've all done it. And it takes this. This is the reality. Is It takes a lot to... It, pretending is not as easy as it seems, right? It takes a lot of energy inside to muster up that, those thoughts and emotions to convince our facial expression that when I enter that room, everyone will look at me and they will think I have it together. Or, or to muster up that sweetness and that look when, when you get out of the car and you've just had that argument with your wife, but you've got to go in and you've got to pretend that, that I love her. And, and, and I'm really not thinking about how I'm going to kill her when I get home, but I'm just going to pretend that everything is okay. And we muster up how we can defend our child and, and give an excuse for, for our child who is now getting involved in things that, that are embarrassing us, or we close our closet door because we're afraid that what's in there we might get caught, or we delete the files on our computer so that nobody really knows what's going on on the inside, and we're afraid, and we pretend, and our fear stops us, and it paralyzes us. You know what it paralyzes us to do? It paralyzes us and keeps us from displaying who God really is. Let me put it to you this way. About, about four years ago, Mike and I went to a leadership seminar. And I really thought and anticipated that when we got there, they were going to give us a lot of handouts and we are going to be sitting in this group. We were going to be discussing leadership issues, you know, kind of rationalize it, philosoph- you know, philosophical kind of ways. And I was going to come away and I was going to be a better leader and, and it was going to be a great time. And when we arrived, though... There were just three other couples. And so it was these three other couples, and it was Mike and I, and we had to write all these papers before we came, and we had to have other people write stuff about us anonymously that that they also got. And so what happened was they set us down one-on-one, face-to-face, for four days. And they said this, in short. I'll give you a short version of a four-day event. They sit across and they said, "Let let let us tell you what we see. Let us tell you what people say. Let us, let us help you become a better leader. And so they began to say, you know, Lori, you're, you're really creative. And, and you're visionary. And whenever you do something, you like to do it with excellence. And so I'm thinking, woohoo! I got an A in this class. You like, that's a little pastor's wife dance there, in case you didn't know. Um, and, and so I was thinking, hey, this is, this is cool. This is good. I'm not doing too bad. And they said, but, but let, us, let us tell you some other things that, that we see and that people think about you. Some people think that you're not authentic. Some people think that you're afraid to be weak. As a matter of fact, Lori, what you have done with your life and in your leadership is you have created this image that pretty much is too good to be true. Who, who can live up to that? How can you say, follow me, when everything that they see always seems to be together all the time? How can anybody follow in that footstep? And that's when I came to this passage. I wrestled with it in my heart. I was thinking, wait, 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 wait a minute. 
My heart is that I want to serve God. And I think I was. My heart is I want to see people come to know Christ. And I think I was. But God had brought me to a point in my life that He needed to strip some things away. And they had become so grafted in me that it hurt when those things were pulled at. And I began to wrestle with this. One of the phrases that they used was, Lori, it's like you're a poster child. And while we might take that as a compliment in some other arena, that was not a compliment. It was, it was I better get a clue. Because the God that I portray and the faith that I'm portraying is, seems like it's all together. Now, come on and let's be real. Is our faith always together? No. Do we always have the answers? Absolutely not. But we feel on the inside we don't want people to know on the outside. And so what we do is we take the way that things are and we pretend that they're not. And so what I want to do is I want to convince you that the, things that, the, the way that things are really aren't. So by the time you're finished thinking, what you're thinking is the things I wish that they would be. Did that completely confuse you? <laughs> don't worry, I often confuse myself too. But you know what I'm saying. We don't want people to know the real deal. But in doing so, we paralyzed any forward movement of God being shown through us. It was about a year and a half after that that I, hit, I slammed into a wall mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Part of it was due because of overexhaustion. Part of it was due because of burnout. Part of it was due because I needed to rethink some things in my life. And I had a hard time coming up with this phrase. I'm depressed. I'm depressed. How do, I, how do I go to church at a women's Bible study and lead it and say, hey, y'all have the joy of the Lord now, and I'm going to pretend like I'm just doing really great, but you know what? I'm depressed. And for the first time in my life, you know what I did? I gathered a few people around me, and I said, all right, ladies, let me tell you what's going on. This is the real deal. This is the real thing. I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. I don't know how to combat it. And you know what they did? They said, Lord, I can't believe that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, that's not what they said. Most of them had been there. Most of them knew exactly what I was saying. One lady was just thankful that somebody admitted what they were going through. When we can admit and when we can go forward in our weakness and in our fear and in our trembling then you know what can be displayed? God's power. And people's faith will then rest on His power. So I have to rethink things. I have to rethink this. I have to change my thoughts. I have to rethink. I can move forward in fear, and I can move forward in weakness. And this is what Paul did. But somehow we've lost the correctness that it's okay to be weak. You know that song that we sang that we sang, uh, We Are Weak but he is strong. Somehow we lose that. And so what we do is, is we cheapen the power of God. We devalue it. And if we're not careful, Grace Point Church, and if I'm not careful, Lori McDaniel, you know what people see? They see an image of what is described in 2 Timothy 3.5 in the end times where it says they will have a form of godliness. They will have, they'll have an image of godliness. They'll have a picture of godliness but they will deny 
its power. If we're not careful, and if we can't be real here, because this is a place that we can be real, right? I mean, shouldn't this be the place that we can sit down with um, the person who's following Christ next to us and say, you know what, here's, here's the real deal. I'm struggling in my marriage. I, I'm struggling with this issue over here. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling with jealousy. I'm struggling with envy. I'm depressed. I can't find joy. I worry all the time. I completely overanalyze God's will for my life all the time. If we can't say that here, in the midst of people where there should be love and mercy and forgiveness and truth, then where can we do that? Where is the power of God then displayed? And if I'm not careful, what happens is, is my salvation becomes that powerful experience in my life that I knew within me that, that nobody could, I couldn't concoct this. The change that took place in me when I decided to follow Christ, this is only something that Jesus Christ could do, not Lori McDaniel. But what happens is, is my, salvation be, my salvation experience becomes a historical event. And it's something that, that I have a photo of that my parents took, or maybe you've got a video, video of it if you're not too old and you could get one when you were baptized. And you've got your baptism certificate, and it's, it's put in a scrapbook, and it's put on a shelf. And, and one of these days when my children grow up and they have children and, and, um, and they say, Hey, Jordan, was your, was your mom, was she a follower of, of Jesus Christ? And, you know, and Jordan says, Yeah, hey, let me go get her baptism certificate and the picture of her being baptized and show you. Because we went to church every Sunday and we prayed before we ate. That's not what I want to be said. That is not a display of who God is. What I want to be said is I want my children to be able to say, you know what? I know that my mom followed Christ. And here's why. Because in this area of her life, I saw God's power moving. When she struggled with this, it was real. And God showed up, and his power was displayed. So Paul is reminding them here in Corinth, hey, look, your faith, your faith does not rest on something that you concocted or something I came in here and I completely impressed you with. Not at all. Your faith rests completely on the power of God and Jesus Christ. Paul said, look, when I came to you, I didn't know anything. The only thing I knew was I knew Jesus Christ and who he was, and I knew Jesus Christ and what he did. And it was that power that he hung on. My second confession to you today is this. Is that I question God because of doubt and fear, and I attempt to reason his plan. Now, the reality is that fear mystifies us. It, it baffles us. It leaves us in confusion. It leaves us in the unknown. Look in verse 6 through 10 and let's read those scriptures there. It says this, Paul says, yet, now wait a minute, remember he says, we don't know anything. All I know is Christ and him crucified. But now he's going to say, yet there is something I do know. Okay, and let's pick up and let's read. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, that's not of this age, it's not of rulers, of this age, who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, 
the hidden wisdom which, pre, which, which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not even entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So what's taking place in Corinthians, or in Corinth, remember, they're trying to reason out God. They're trying to take the intellectual thought and they're trying to combine it with a spiritual truth. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you can't do that. The wisdom that we're speaking to you, the wisdom that we have shared, is, 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 is a hidden wisdom. It's a mystery of God. There is nobody on this earth who can put hope on their poster and hang it up and say, we've got the answer. It's not going to be on the next election. It's not going to be who the next leader is. Matter of fact, Paul's saying, look, God's spiritual truths, they're, they're not going to fade away. But his wisdom is not something that's, that's new and fresh and, hey, it's the newest, biggest thing that is out there. Matter of fact, God's wisdom is the oldest. And is revealed to us not because we concocted it up, or because we came up and we sat in a circle and we started discussing it at church and this is what we came up with. But because it was revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, when Paul starts talking about this, the Spirit, there are times that I think, I don't grasp the Holy Spirit a whole lot. I, I really can't fathom Him. I really don't understand Him. But yet the Spirit is the one who searches and knows everything about God. And the Bible tells me that I have the Spirit within me, but yet it's a foreign thing. And if I'm not careful, I try to reduce Him into something that I can define, something that I can, that I can personally engage in within my framework, within my black and white box. You know, how many of you use a microwave today? Raise your hand. You used your microwave this morning. You got up, you heated up some hot water to make tea, or you made oatmeal with, with some hot water in the microwave, or you fried the bacon in the microwave, or if you're like me, you're a little bit lazy, and so you took the pot of coffee from yesterday, you didn't make a fresh new cup, and you poured it in there, and you heated it up in the microwave, right? And so we use our microwave. Do you know how a microwave works? You use it every day at work. You take your hot pocket or your bean burrito, and you put it in the microwave, and you nuke it, or you use it to heat up a baby's bottle or whatever you do with it. But do you understand how it works? Anybody in here know how a microwave works? Do you understand that, that there are 2.5 gigahertz of radio waves that when you turn that microwave on, it, that, it, that it is shot through, and so it creates this atomic heat. And the fats and the water and the sugars and the food absorb those radio waves, and so everything is heated through and through. So you all are supposed to be really impressed with that. Aren't you impressed? Yeah, okay. All right, or, or my car. I don't really understand how my car works, but when I got in it this morning... I didn't go open up my hood to make sure that my 3.0 V6 dual overhead cam 2 fuel injection was still working. (laughs) (laughs) Or the Internet. You know how the Internet works? 
How many of you went on the internet this morning, check your email, check your Facebook? You know you did, but only one is brave enough to admit it. We're addicted to it. When the electricity went off at our house, my children were not concerned about whether or not we were going to be able to cook food or have heat or hot water. What they were concerned about is they couldn't get on the internet. There was no Facebook. But do you know how it works? Do you understand that when you dial in to your internet service provider, your, your IPS, and, and you have an IPA account, and you dial in to your POP or your, your office, you have an LAN account, and, and maybe your wireless, maybe it's a, your internet service, maybe it's a, a WEP account or a, a WPA account. How am I doing, Philip? Am I doing all right? Okay, thank you. But do you understand how it works? No, oh, but we engage these things every day. I don't really understand how they work either. I just had to go look up the Internet and get the information. I had to go and get it and learn it in a school book. What about the sun? Those are, those are, those are man-made things that we just talked about. What about the sun? You know that the sun is 93 million miles away, and the light from the sun travels 186,000 miles per second. Do this. Everybody do this. That's the most charismatic you got this morning. Do it again. It's feeling good. In the time it took you to snap, Light traveled around the earth eight times. Gee, you could almost say amen to that one, couldn't you? Wow, God. And when you walk outside, the heat that you're feeling from the sun, it came off the sun eight minutes ago. Yet I don't really comprehend it. I don't even think about it. But yet it is involved in my life in totality. The Spirit of God. I can't define him. God's wisdom. I can't go home and look it up on the internet or sit down with a school book and figure it all out. And so what happens is because I can't, I begin to doubt because of my fear. And I begin to question God. But when in reality what I need to do is I need to go, you know what? I know that the Spirit of God lives in me. If you were to look in the very next chapter in 1 Corinthians 3.16... Just a little bit over, it says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So wait a minute. The Spirit of God who lives in me searches out and knows the very things of God. Did you get that? The Spirit who absorbs God and knows all things about God, is the very Spirit that dwells within me. And yet I'm afraid, and yet I question God, and yet I doubt. You know what's happening? You know what Lord McDaniel is doing? I'm doing with the Church of Corinthians. The Church of Corinthians, they really need to change their name. We need to call them like uh, BSC or something like that. I'm doing what they did. I'm taking my human reasoning my human thought, my human rationalization, my, my human analytical personality, and I'm combining it with the spiritual things of God. And Paul's saying, no, 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 you can't do this. You know, we create a lot of things. We discover a lot of great things. We have answers and solutions and inventions and creations, and all of those things were great. But you can't take that same human reasoning and try to explain God's will for your life. You can't take that same human reasoning and God asks you to do something. You can map it out. And you know what the outcome is going to be. Mm-mm. You can't do that. 
And we have to move forward in trusting in God. But if I question God, and I'm thinking, God, are you, are you, are you really calling me to go do something? Because I, I'm not real clear about this. And I'm afraid. Then what I become is, is a lot like the Israelites. Remember when the Israelites left Egypt? God delivered them out of Egypt. Yay, hurrah, we go, we're out, we come to the Red Sea. Oh, no. What are we going to do now? Oh, wait, but now, see, we know. We can go, hey, clueless. Didn't you just see that God delivered you out of Egypt? Don't you think he's going to deliver you over here to town? But instead, we come to the Red Sea, and oh, my gosh, we're afraid. What's going to happen? But God shows up, and his power works. And they cross the Red Sea. Hoorah, yay, God showed up. And oh, no. Now we've got enemies our tail. Now what's going to happen? And we're back in the fear thing again. And, and, and the water takes them over and everyone on them is killed. But then they get to the wilderness and they're afraid that they're not going to have food. And God gives them food and they're afraid they're not going to have water. And God gives them water. And God says, here, I want you to go in the promised land because it has everything. And you know what they do? They go to the promised land. You know why? Because they question God. And so the story that was being told was not a story of God's power any longer. It was before. But when we quit going forward in our fear, knowing that God and trusting that God's Spirit is within us and His power is working through us, the story stops. The story is no longer being told about God. We all want miracles, Erwin McManus says. We all want miracles, but we spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen. So what happens is, is we barter with ourselves on the inside, and we're looking for that good logical reason of why we can't do what it is that God's asked us to do. But we've got a good reason for it. And so what happens is we exchange the awe of God's magnificence for something that's minimum and explainable. Wisdom will not be delivered to you by man. Matter of fact, if you're here today and you've been questioning, you know, this whole God thing maybe, and maybe it's something I want to explore, or maybe you're new in your faith, or, or whatever, and, and you're thinking, you know what, maybe I can reason it, maybe I can find the answer to this question, and so on and so forth, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot. You will not. It is only revealed to you by the Spirit that we can comprehend. My third confession to you is this is I can be consumed with what is not true. Pretty much the fear of the unknown. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, let's pick up and read there. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the man which is in him? See, right now, whatever you're thinking, nobody has a clue. Only you do. And the only way that other people around you are going to have a clue about what you're thinking is if you choose to reveal it to other people. Nobody knows the thoughts of a man in verse, in verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is, who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining Spiritual thoughts with spiritual words, not human reasoning with spiritual thoughts. But a natural man does not accept these things of God for their foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now I want you to think back with me when you were a kid. 
And I'll pause here because for some of you that will take a little bit longer. Okay. Think back with me when you're a kid. I want you to think of those thoughts that you had going through your head. Remember that house that everybody in your neighborhood made up a story about? Remember the creepy house? Remember your closet and the things that you thought were in it? When I was growing up, my grandmother took me to see the movie Jaws. And I was about in the third grade, and I'm still in counseling because of that one. And I left the movie, and I spent the summer with her at their kind of townhouse complex, and there were swimming pools that were there. And I remember walking to the pool after seeing the movie Jaws, and I remember asking my grandmother, how shallow can sharks swim? And she said, well, I think they could swim in about two to three feet. So we get to the swimming pool, and I scope out the pool. I walk around the edge, and I'm looking to see, what am I looking for? Sharks, because I'm afraid. And see, what fear does often is it takes truth, and it manipulates it. And what, what is true is, or, or, or what is true, our fear takes it, and we have a different perspective, and we begin to believe that our perspective is truth, and what is truth is now getting further away. And so I walked around the edge of the pool looking to see if there were sharks, but as you get to the deep end, it gets a little darker, and you can't really tell. But I thought I had a pretty good idea that there weren't any sharks in there. So I got up on the diving board to jump in. But then you know what I began to think with my fear? They could come up through the drain. <laughs> That's right. You didn't know that, right? Is it truth? No. But I believed it. I believed it so much that when I jumped into that pool, I was out of there split second. And nobody knew the fear that was going through me. But I was out of there, and they just thought I was a really fast swimmer. (laughs) Or remember the movie Star Wars? That When I was little, the, the first one came out, which was the fourth one at that time. And Chewbacca was the good character. But you didn't know this. My parents didn't know this. But he lived under my bed. And if I got too close to the edge of the bed, he would grab my feet and pull me under. Now, I want you to look at me. I want you to say, you're not crazy. All right. Let's just say, you're crazy, but I'm crazy too. Go ahead. Because you know you thought it. But here's truth of what could happen. My bed was here. The light switch was here. And if I could turn off the light, and if I could get a good running start, and I could come in about four feet of the bed, he could not get my ankles and pull me under. And that was truth to me. But thank goodness I've grown up. (laughs) And so now I think things that are a lot more mature, like maybe God doesn't really exist. Or, you know, maybe, maybe when I'm praying, maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he really just doesn't even hear me. Or, or maybe what happens, maybe he loves you more than he loves me because it sure seems like God's always answering you and blessing you, but he's not me. Or today. See, the thing is, is, is I love teaching. And I love getting into God's Word. And so you walk away from here thinking, Gosh, he just makes it seem so easy. But what you don't know is the wrestling match that takes place beforehand. That last night I'm laying on the couch crying to Mike, going, are you kidding me? 
How am I supposed to get up and share God's truth with these people? I'm afraid. What is it that I know that I could possibly share with them? So I'm tempted to come in here and go. I've got it all together. And I don't. And I wrestle. And I struggle. You know, when when God called us us to go to Africa, you've got to remember, that's all you know about us, is mission. But there was a time that when he called us to do that, we were completely afraid. But let's say that we never went. So then what's the story? There isn't one. Or what if when we were afraid to start Grace Point Church, we didn't do it? There's no story. There's no story of God. And the thing is, is those are just two examples that that maybe went forward, but I could probably give you a, a lot longer list of things that I didn't go forward in. Because I didn't spiritually appraise them. I appraised them with my human and logical and intellectual thinking. So I have to rethink this. I have God's truth revealed to me. I have His Word divinely given to me. He has revealed it to us. He has revealed it to us. And then in verse 16, Paul asked this question. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who? Who knows the mind of the Lord? Well, he's quoting a verse from Isaiah. But now we have the answer. The Spirit knows the mind of the Lord. And since the Spirit is in us, and if you look at the very end of verse 16, it says, we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. You know, in, in that chapter in Isaiah, in Isaiah 40, when he's asking, he's quoting that, he's asking that question, when he says, who can know the mind of Christ? All through that passage, it's, it's a long chapter, but it goes on, it's describing God. And it's asking a lot of questions. And, and it, says, it says something like this. It says, you know, who can know God? Who can know what he's really thinking? Who can know the mind of Christ? Who who was it that instructed God? What what school did he go to to learn how to be God? I mean, who is it that can measure the sky between between his pinky and his thumb? And, And who is it that every night marches the stars out one by one and calls them by name? And he's so great and he's so powerful that there's not one that's even missing. What, what are you going to do? Are you going to go fashion a little no-god, you know, with some bronze or, or silver and gold? Make sure that it's leveled off so it won't tip over. Who knows the mind of God? The Spirit knows the mind of God. And the Spirit lives in us. And reveals truth to us. So that I don't have to live in fear of what people think, fear of the unknown. I can go forward in weakness. And when I do, the story's not told of Glory McDaniel anymore. The story is now told of God. You know, the irony of it all is this. Come on up, Jerry. The irony of it all is this, is that when I, when I get done today, I'm, I'm going to have a choice to make. This is a reality. 
I'm going to have to choose. Am I going to walk away and do and be what Lori McDaniel is naturally? Am I going to overanalyze everything? Or am I going to am I going to walk away here from here and think, okay, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. And I probably stuttered too much there. And some people are thinking, can you believe that they're letting a girl up there talk on Sunday? And I mean, it'd be okay on Monday, but not on Sunday. And um, I, you know, did, did, I, did I communicate? Did, 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 I, did I take the scriptures out of context? Did, did, are people, were people just bored to death on Sunday morning? Maybe if I said it a little bit different. And I start this, this mental game with inside. Or I have to come back to truth. You know what? There isn't anything inside me. There is nothing. Nothing. In me or in you. That your faith could rest on each other. That when we come together as a body and we're not afraid to be weak, when we go forward in fear and God's power is displayed through us, when we engage the Holy Spirit working in our life and He's revealing truth to us, then the story that is being told is a story that is about God. See, I don't, I don't have a clue where you're at. This is my rap sheet. thing is... is as I know you have your own confessions that you could say, that you could get real with, that you could come clean with. And I would challenge you to do this. Ask yourself this question. If, if everything that I'm sitting in here today, just today, just focus on right now in this moment. Let's just say the electricity shut off, the church building's gone, the, 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 the chairs are gone, and... And everything that I hinge my faith around, all these little aesthetic kind of stuff. Let's just say that in. Let's just let's say that the band didn't even play music for the invitation. Wouldn't that be freaky? I don't know that we could do that in church, can we? If we didn't, would the power of God be there in your life? Is that what would show up right now? Because if not, then you've got, to ask your, you've got to ask, why not? Where is my human reasoning coming in? How have I put God into a box and rationalized Him? How can I do that? He's exalted. And I can't exchange His awe for something that makes sense to Lord.